Hi, everyone, and thank you for checking into our podcast, Harmony Springs Gives Voice. Today, we give voice to those who may not find themselves in the holiday spirit. As the holiday comes each year, we're told to have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Joy to the world. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And we have the fun characters of Rudolph and Santa and all those family traditions. But there really are many of us who don't find ourselves joyous as the holidays draw near. The holidays bring a cloud for various reasons, the complexities of navigating family relationships and expectations, or maybe the loss of someone who should be joining us but is no longer here. Today, we have a special guest at the microphone. First, we have Joel, who is probably a familiar voice. Hey, everybody. Pastor Joel, lead pastor at Harmony Springs. I'm Jennifer. And today we have Trisha Lott Williford. Trisha is a remarried widow, a writer, a teacher, reader, and a thinker. She's also a New York Times bestselling author whose titles include Just You Wait, You Can Do This, and Life Comes Back, and my favorite title, Let's Pretend We're Normal. And there's a new one coming in 2021 called This Book Is For You. I've heard that it's a book about the Bible, but not really. Would you like to say a little more about that, Tricia? <laughs> Jennifer, what a great introduction. It is a book about the Bible, but not really. Um, the heart of the book is, uh, the subtitle is Falling in Love with God's Words in Your Actual Life. And the heart of it is that a lot of us feel like we should read the Bible, but we feel like it's been written for someone else. And so this book um, dives into the heart of of the Bible and says, really, this book is for you and here's why. And it's my desire in writing it was to be able to bring the readers into it, to be able to say, you know what, um, this actually is for you. And we all feel like we want to read it, like we should read it. Uh, we're kind of embarrassed if we don't, especially if you belong to the evangelical subculture and you kind of privately feel like, you know, it's kind of boring. I don't actually love it. Um, that can feel, I don't know, weird and scary and out of place. And so I have uh, written lots of essays talking about um, how to fall in love with the Bible in your actual life without having to be a monk or a nun or a mystic who lives in the mountains in solitary um, bliss, but but really someone who is messy and late for school and just trying to get through the day. Uh, the Bible is for you. And so I've written this book called This Book is for You. So it's coming out in 2021. That is really, really exciting. How fun. The birth of a new book. So now we're going to move on to the topic for today, which is those finding themselves with less of the holiday spirit than they might wish to have. Trisha, would you start off by uh, giving our listeners a bit of an introduction about yourself? Sure. So I um, am a teacher by trade. I am a writer by love. And I became a teacher before my um, before my kids were born. And shortly after they were born, I became a stay at home mom. And uh, I started blogging. And um, I had maybe 30 or 40 people who read my stuff, you know, like college roommates and aunts and cousins across the country. And um, it just became my creative outlet, and I, I called it Teaching Tuck and Tie because my sons are named Tucker and Tyler. And um, I, I just had transitioned to this life that I thought was everything that I had, had wanted, and um, I was just really doing my best. Some, some women are really good at being stay-at-home moms, and I just didn't feel like I was very good at it. And so this blog became just kind of my, 
my it was the it it was my creative outlet, as I said, and um, uh, suddenly about a um, t- couple of years after I had started this blog, our our lives took quite a turn, and um, my husband got very sick, and he was sick for just twelve hours, and the doctors thought he had the flu. And they were correct. He did have the flu, but he it was masking sepsis, um, which is an infection in his bloodstream that attacked his heart and his lungs. And they said, he won't die from this, but he's going to feel like it. And um, they, they were incorrect, actually. They missed the diagnosis, and he did die. He died the next morning. Um, he was just sick for 12 hours. And um, he was 35, and he was healthy and with us. And suddenly gone, just very suddenly gone. I was 31 and our little boys were five years old and three years old. So they were not yet in kindergarten and they were fatherless and I was a widowed single mom. And all of this happened two days before Christmas. And we are in the holiday season now. And this, this year makes 10 years since he died. Um, and that turned my world upside down, but it also turned my Christmas inside out. And uh, Christmas has forever been a um, difficult time for me since that Christmas when we lost him so suddenly. And um, as I mentioned, we're kind of we're 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 a decade out from that great trauma that where the bottom fell out of my world. Um, and I I do feel like I'd, I mean I'll. Hopefully, I'll get to tell you more about that through the course of our chat today. But um, I do feel like I'm in a better space now, and the Lord has pieced things back together and created a new life that I couldn't have imagined. But it has not been easy, and it has been a long, hard path um, that I'm still on, that I'm still on. Wow, that sounds like a really difficult time, a really traumatic story. And I can't imagine how that then feels to come into the holidays. You know, a lot of us have had some sort of a, a trauma or another at, at some time of the year. And, you know, as that season comes around, um, it, it reminds us of, of that time and of that uh, occurrence. And in your case, though, it's just so unfortunate it came at the holidays. I mean, of course, the whole thing's unfortunate. But coming at the holidays, it just changes the color and the tone of how that is lived out in your life. Um, so these days, I, I understand that that you've had some happiness and some things have changed, but uh, how do you get through the hardest of days? Or how did you at that time? Well, it was especially difficult because, um, as you said, it, it comes at Christmas, and um, the marketing of the Christmas holiday now takes up a third of the year. I mean, it really begins, you know, so early. <laughs> it feels like a third of the year. Maybe it's actually a fourth. But um, shortly after Halloween, they just dive in and it feels like so long, so long that it is the that it is the holiday season and everything starts earlier. And um, one of the things that I have learned along the way is that there are logical memories and there are emotional memories. And um, there are logical things that 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 you can look at something and think, um, I I know that I'm you know this. A logical memory is a very clear line. Like I, I I look at that shirt and it reminds me of when I went on that date back in 1995, and it's very a very clear delineation of why this reminds me of that. But emotional memories are not logical, and they're buried in emotion and. 
they can trigger um, memories within you that you just think, I don't know why I feel sad right now. Um, And it can be the scent of a candle or Christmas carols playing at the mall or um, something that that it just triggers something deep within you that is an emotional memory. And you can't necessarily identify why you feel the way that you do. And that's the thing about it. It's not logical. And that's what makes it so hard is that Christmas and the holiday season is such a multi-sensory experience from the the weather and the temperature and the music and the, you know, the smells and the air and the things that we eat. And it is tied to every single one of our senses. And senses take you back immediately to a place that um, where your memories have no time. And logical memories can fade over time, um, but emotional memories don't. They stay sharp and they put you right back in it, in the middle of it. And so how did I handle it then? Well, um, I really, it kind of, the trauma of Rob dying, um, he died on our bedroom floor before the paramedics could get there. And so it was just me with him when he died. And it all happened so suddenly and so quickly. And not only in my home, but in our bedroom. So in our safest place. And that really rewired my brain. It kind of um, taught me that nothing is safe. And um, if this could happen in my safest space, then then clearly nothing in the world is safe. And everything, I was kind of in a fight or flight mode all the time. I look back on that now and I recall it as two years of winter. The first year was for my head to just make sense of all of this. And then the next year was for my heart to make sense of all of this. And it was one thing to see dates coming on the calendar and to think, oh, this is coming. I've got to be ready for it. And it was another thing to actually uh, feel those things happening. And to, um, you know, when you when a person experiences frostbite, it's not when they are numb. It's not when they're frozen that they're in the most pain. It's when they start to thaw. And that's what happened in that second year. It's when I started to feel something again. So what I did then, and still sometimes what I continue to do, is the next thing. What is in front of me right now that needs to be done right now? Um, And sometimes that means I need a glass of water. And sometimes that means I need to go for a walk. And sometimes that means I need to take a nap. And I think one of the things that is one of the truest pieces of facing trauma and grief is to let yourself feel how you feel and to look at the next thing, just the very next thing that must be done. And sometimes that turns out to be something very tangible and something very real, and it's just the thing that must be done right now. And that's that's... That's how I got through then and, and even still sometimes now. It's kind of a good policy, actually, to be very present in the moment and to do just do the next thing. Tricia, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking from a church and pastoral perspective that the holiday season, when we're, uh, you know, affiliated with the church and a part of the celebration that the holidays bring with them, especially in and around our church services and gatherings. Uh, I can imagine that it would be incredibly difficult to have to go through that season 
being constantly reminded of a traumatic loss like you have experienced. And, uh, you know, I just, I worry often that inadvertently as Christians, as pastors with the best of intentions, uh, that we accidentally pile sort of more trauma on top of loss that folks have already experienced when they've lost uh, a loved one. And, you know, yours is especially heart-wrenching because you lost your husband days before Christmas. Uh, but across the board, there's a bigger group of people there also that we see in church, which is just when you lose anyone that you love, uh, the holidays can be especially difficult because you want to be able to spend those with people that you love. And when they're not there, uh, that shared experience of loss uh, that we all unfortunately have to deal with in this life uh, can be pretty traumatic. So I guess uh, as I'm hearing your story, I'm wondering what sorts of experiences you've had, good and or bad, in uh, your Christian faith community uh, dealing with that and working through it, and if you have any advice uh, to pastors, leaders who may be listening to this uh, and how they can best support folks who have experienced trauma like yours. What a great question, and I'm so thankful for your empathy as a um as a pastor, and and I, I have so many answers to that. When I mentioned at the top of our interview, um, I mentioned that I am a writer, and um, when Rob died, I the only thing that felt the same to me from from the morning before to the next day. Um, I mean, a lot of invisible things stayed the same, like the sovereignty of God and things like that. Um, but those were invisible to me. And everything that I could see felt like it was turned 30 degrees off its axis. Everything was just wrong. Um, and I, the only thing that stayed the same in, in that felt the same was that I could still write. And so I began to write through this journey of losing my husband and my very first blog post, um, after he died, I said, my husband died and there are no words for an ache this deep. And someone shared that on Twitter and uh, th that someone has a very large platform. I don't know who they are, but someone sent it out into the world and said, please pray for this woman. Her husband has died. Oh. And um, it spread like wildfire and uh, literally virally and um, around to five different continents of people who were all signing on to read. And there were three different groups of people. Now, I wasn't writing for them, Joel. I was writing because writing is exhaling for me. Reading is inhaling. Writing is exhaling. And I was just trying to keep my head above water. And so I continued writing, but I was writing about the really real things that I was dealing with, about the conversations with my preschoolers and going to bed alone and, you know, having this empty spot at the dinner table. And there were three tribes of people who started listening and really started signing on. The first were young moms. And the young moms were saying, um, okay, this is my worst nightmare. This is my biggest fear. I've got to read this. I want to sign on. I want to see how you're going to handle this because I, I am afraid. I'm afraid of this very thing. And if I can watch how you do this, then I can come close to the fire without getting burned. And I can come right up to the edge of your cliff without falling over. So I'm just going to watch and see. Because if you can make it through this, then I can, I can sleep at night. And the second group of people were those who said, uh, well, he didn't die, but he left. 
or we didn't, I didn't lose my husband, but we lost a child, or we lost our home, or we lost our financial security, or we're battling a, a health crisis that's just changing everything about our lives. And they said, what you're writing about this loss is connecting with mine. Um, and it's, it's, there's this sacred scarlet thread through what you're saying that I can identify with also. And the third group of people, Joel, were people like yourself who were pastors and counselors and therapists who said, um, most people don't write through this. People write after it. They write after their experience when everything's healed and whole again. But you're inviting us to your, you know, floor of your closet and to your dining room table and into the conversations happening with those two little dudes in the car seats in the back seat. And, um, and you're giving voice to this that most people who come into my office in crisis or in trauma cannot, they can't do this. And so I can listen to this and I can read what you're saying and I can think of how I can love them and what I can do for the people in front of me who don't have the voice or who don't yet have the words or who don't know what they need. And there are so many, there are so many things. One of, one of the things that I love to suggest to the church community is to ease up a little bit or quite a bit on the expectations. Because sometimes when we are hurting, we just need space to feel how we feel. And belonging to, um, belonging to the same community where we have been before can feel suffocating. It can feel like I, I can't be in the space anymore. It was a long time before I could go to worship again, before I could go to church again, because all I could hear next to me was the absence of Rob's voice. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, he was my husband. We did that space together. I didn't know how to do this without him, and it was entirely too painful. And worship looks different for me now than it did 10 years ago. And for a long time, it was just me and God sitting at Starbucks reading my Bible. And when you can be really patient with people and let them be in their darkness, Anne Lamott has this great quote where she says, when the light goes out in your world, don't be so quick to turn it back on. Like just, oh. just, be, just be brave enough to be in the darkness for a while. And when you can allow the people that you love and the people that you're shepherding to be in their darkness and when you don't rush in to turn on the light, but you're willing to be sad with them and to simply sit with them, that makes all the difference. And when we are ready to shine a flashlight again, when we're ready to turn on the nightlight, when we are ready to do that, we will remember that you were patient and we will remember that you were you were wise. So so that's the that's the first thing is to give people time and space. The second is don't be afraid of silence. Don't don't be afraid. Um too often I think that we feel like we have to represent God in crisis. And God does not need to be represented and he is not worried about his reputation. He's mm -hmm. not worried. And too often like when we look at Job's story, um his friends did really well until they opened their mouths. <laughs> They sat quietly with him for a little while, and that was their gracious space. But as soon as they started explaining and saying, well, have you thought about this? Maybe you're the problem. Maybe there's sin here. When we start to say things like, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, or God just needed another angel in heaven, um, there's so much wrong with that theology, and we can really be um, careless with the hearts of people when we say the wrong thing. So don't be afraid 
to just not speak. There's so much grace in simply being present. And then the third piece that I would mention about that is that um, one of the things that has become very sacred to me, actually, um, more so than a Christmas Eve service, is um, what some people call the service of the longest night. Mm. And December 21st is the longest night of the year. And there are um, some church communities who choose to celebrate that as a night of somber recognition that for some people, they, this is the long night of their soul. Mm. And to, to have a contemplative space where people can come, where it's not about jingle bells, it's not about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it's about candles, and it's about quiet, and it's about presence together um, that doesn't force you to feel happy because sometimes you just don't. And the longest night of your soul um, deserves some recognition, deserves some space at the table. It deserves mm. to be acknowledged. Like this is where you are. And there's a night that of, out of the year that where it is dark for a really long time. Let's make space for that together. So in that, I have a question. Um, how do you deal with people who have expectations on your life or behavior or emotions at the holidays? Or have you just taught your family, friends, and neighbors that this is not okay and you got to give me my space? How does that look for you? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I think my therapist would love to weigh in on that. <laughs> um, I feel like when you have experienced trauma, when you have lost something that has just torn your foundation to bits, you get a new playbook. You get a new rule book that you get to follow. And it, it's, it's unwritten, although maybe I should write it. Um, it's unwritten and it's unspoken, but it's things like this. Um, if you don't want to come to the party, you don't have to. Um, if you think you can come to the party and you'd like to give it a try, but five minutes in, you feel like you can't do this, you're allowed to leave. If you feel like you need to slip away for a little while and just go sit in your car and gather yourself for a minute, you're allowed to do that. You are allowed to say no. No is a complete sentence. And you're allowed to do that. And, and I have learned how to, as I said, with lots of help from a therapist and lots of, you know, honestly, the hardest part for me was I wanted to be the person that I was before. I used to be an off the charts extrovert. It's a whole lot more fun to be an extrovert during the holiday season than it is to be an introvert who is triggered with anxiety and trauma. And it's a whole lot more fun. I wanted to be that person. And there were many years that I kind of tried to put on a football helmet and just barrel my way through. Like, let me just, let me just stay ahead of it, stay on top of it. Just be stronger than the memory. Be stronger than the trauma. Um, trauma is a pretty formidable foe, and it is tireless. It is tireless, and it doesn't get weaker. You just get stronger. Um, and sometimes you can handle it, and sometimes you need to take a break. And so that's what I have learned is that if I just put on my helmet and I barrel through, the cost for me is physical because there really is a, there's a tie between emotional exhaustion and physical health. And when I'm going to push myself into my reserves and push myself into, into the red, like we can't, I can't, 
I have I have nothing to draw from anymore. Um, there's going to be a physical fallout there, whether it is migraines or fatigue, or there just comes a point where your body says, I cannot do this anymore. And it took me a long time to find that margin. It took me a long time to find that danger zone of, oh, here, here's what it feels like when we're getting close to exhaustion. Here's what it feels like. Um, so now I've become very um, acquainted with the margin that I need in my life, especially during the holiday season. In fact, one of the things that we're doing differently in my home this year, I said to my sons, who, as I mentioned, they were three and five when they lost their dad, and they're 13 and 15 now. And I said, hey, I have an idea. What if I leave for the day and you guys decorate for Christmas? That's really fun for you. That's not triggering for you. But it is for me. And I always feel like the the boxes are filled with monsters of all kinds of names, depression, panic, anxiety, memories. I, I don't know which which monsters are hiding in which boxes. And it just feels overwhelming to me. But you guys don't feel that way. And you love this time. So I'm just going to step away from it. And why don't you guys just take over and I will come home when it's done. And that way you can enjoy and you don't have to be careful with my emotions. Sometimes you're doing other people a favor <laughs> by taking care of yourself and setting your boundary around it. So I, um, I, I guess that's what I would say. I've become very comfortable saying no because I realize what I'm saying yes to. What I'm saying yes to is self-care. Um, and it's radical self-care. It's like I, I will do what must be done in order for me to not only survive the holiday season, but to celebrate the holiday season. It just has to look different for me. And I need to be willing to say no. Trisha, I so appreciate your vulnerability, your openness, your honesty, um, sharing what you've gone through, sharing what what works for you now. And, and I have a feeling that, that things like boundaries are really something that everyone needs to learn when it comes to the holidays or just any other sad time of their life, trauma, you know. Um, I've been thinking a lot the past few days coming up to this recording of the podcast and thinking about how this will relate to so many people in the time of COVID, in the coronavirus. So many people have have lost loved ones, have loved ones that are forever changed in some way or another, physically or otherwise. Um, This kind of conversation, I think, is so absolutely necessary now and in time to come. There will be more and more people who find themselves in a situation where they need to find their own boundaries and and, uh, feel out how that works for them and how they feel. You know, some people would say, you're squashing the party by running off. But as you said, not at all. You're, you're making it happier and easier for the others around mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And yes. that can be such a blessing, like not showing up for the party. <laughs> at That's time. right. That's right. And, and knowing what you need, knowing what you need. And I think, too, of, um, I don't know, Jesus met people where they were. He met people where they were, and he came to them, and he didn't require them to always chase him down. He he stepped off the path and he sat with the people who were struggling. He sat with the people who were hurting and he had time to do that. And we don't have to be something that we're not in order to be with him. And that's a gift. 
that's absolutely a gift and, and that he gives us and that we can give to one another. And you're right. This is a timely conversation as we as a world, not even just as a state or as a nation, but as a world are recovering from or living through this pandemic. And um, this is uncharted territory. And even as we try to figure out what to do the next day and what to do the next moment, there are some things that stay the same. And um, sadness and loss is a sacred scarlet thread. And knowing, allowing yourself to feel how you feel and to face the emotions that you're feeling with whatever ways yourself needs to be cared for is a bold move. And it is, it is very loving and it is very filled with grace. And when some, sometimes when, when you set the boundary and you say, this is what I need, someone else then has the freedom to say, you know what, that's what I need too. I just didn't know we were allowed to say that. And sometimes the hardest space is to be the person who says, this is how I feel. One of the easier spaces is to be, yeah, me too. Actually, what you just said, I thought I was the only one, but that's how I feel too. And you can be the hand of grace to extend that to those who are like, yeah, actually, thanks for saying that. I can't do it this way. I was just thinking, uh, Tricia, that those two words, uh, it's funny that you just said a me too, I think are so powerful. And I think uh, a number of people listening to this episode of the podcast will at least have their own feelings and emotions validated by the fact that you are willing to be so authentic in how you processed uh, similar trauma. And I just, you're exactly right. I just think the, uh, the thread, like you said, the thread of loss uh, weaves its way into all of our lives. We can't escape it. And if we are better prepared for uh, as best we can, I guess, uh, you're never really prepared, but uh, to just be armed with, the uh, some tools to be able to process trauma and to at least be empathetic towards one another and to give uh, space and presence and uh, to each other, I think is the embodiment of what it means to be church and uh, repeating what you said, but it bears repeating that Jesus himself wanted to give voice to folks who needed their voices to be heard. And in this instance, I keep thinking, there's an irony in the fact that, uh, you know, we want to, the mission of our podcast is to try to give voice to things that are often difficult to talk about or that need to be talked about. When it comes to loss, actually things like silence and presence, not talking about some things uh, can be just as important as talking about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's certainly always okay to talk about things. The danger zone is when we try to give answers that we actually don't have. Um, and I think that the best thing, like the, the, the banner that I have tried to carry, first of all, for my sons as we navigated this together. And secondly, for anyone who was walking alongside of us. And thirdly, for anyone far and wide who was simply reading about our story the, I, I, I always said, I may not have the answers, but I will tell the truth. And that has created that the authenticity of that honesty of being willing to say, you know what? I don't know why God did this. I don't know why. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know why he thought it was a good idea. I think it was a terrible idea. 
I don't I don't know I don't know why he thinks we can handle this and I don't know where he is in this. There's so much authenticity in that in letting people feel how they feel. If I have any mantra through all of this, it's that let people feel how they feel. And talking about it can be very therapeutic. I love the idea that you're saying we give voice. Um, there's a proverb that says, speak for those who cannot speak. And we have a calling to give voice to those people and to um, to just that, to give voice. Um, but what we are not required to do is to give answers. And that's different. That's different. There are some things we will never know the answer to this side of heaven. And when we try to do that and when we try to make black and white the things that are really very gray um faith that's the element of faith it's it's the evidence of what we cannot see and so when we claim that we can we're taking the faith right out of it actually and to be willing to be in the gray and in the darkness with those who are saying this hurts too much to name it that's okay let's talk about what it feels like Yeah, I, the line, I think so often we as human beings or people with the greatest of intentions want to fill empty space when that empty space is uh, trauma and emotions. We just, uh, you know, it's natural, I think, for all of us to want to sure. make things better for somebody we love. Uh, but just putting yourself in the moment, I guess, uh, you know, I'm thinking about what you're saying and just sometimes it's talking, sometimes it's not talking. Uh, but being as empathetic as possible towards uh, our fellow human beings who experience trauma and loss, especially during the holidays. You know what? And I, I, I love everything you're saying. And I would couple that with don't be afraid to ask, what do you need? Hmm. What do you need? Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we only know what we don't need. You know what I don't need? I don't need any more thank you notes to write. <laughs> you know? You know what I don't need? I don't need um, to, I, I, I don't know. But sometimes we can finish, that. We that's the only sentence we know how to finish. And um, especially in the holiday season, there are times when, um, when we want, it's, a, it's the season of giving and we want to give to people. And it's hard, it can be really difficult to know how to give to someone who is really struggling and someone who's really hurting. And one of the things that I discovered is that I really feel like there are two kinds of giving um, in that situation. There are those who, um, what I like to call it is like open-handed giving, where I, I, there are people who know what to do because they're so intimately involved with the family who is grieving that they know, you know what I need to do? I need to go over and do some laundry. I need to make sure that they have groceries. I need to, I, we got to take care of their meal situation. You know what? They need some help with their car payment. Like there are people who are so intimately involved that they can step right in because they know what needs to be done. And if you are in that space close enough to the person who is hurting to know exactly what they need, then just do it. Just do it. Just step in and just get it done. Because we who are in the trauma are sometimes in a place of like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to ask for it. I don't, you know what? If you can slay that dragon for us by stepping into the battle and saying, you know what? I got this one. I've got this. I'm, I'm going to take care of this for you. Now, if you are in the second or third tier 
of their lives and you're not closely in there, but you think, you know, I got to do something or I want to do something or I simply feel so guilty over the fact that my life is going so swimmingly right now and theirs is not that I've got to give something to them. Then just do it. Just do it. But give with an open hand. And here's what open-handed gifts look like. Gift cards. It looks like something that gives voice to that person and gives them autonomy in their lives and lets them make a choice. When you say to them, we're going to bring you dinner tonight, uh, you don't know what their dinner plan was tonight. They might have wanted to do something different, um, but you just stepped in and made their decision for them. And when you're facing trauma and you're facing, when you're facing deep loss, so many decisions have been made for you. And when someone comes along and says, you know what, we're going to give you the voice. We're going to give you the choice. Anytime that you can give voice and a choice to the person who is staring down this greatest, hardest thing they've ever, ever known, harder than anything they've ever known, and you can come alongside them and say, you know what, here's a gift card. You take your family to dinner when you're ready. If that's tonight, then here you go. Um, You know what, here's a gift card to Target. Because I would love for you to be able to just get something fun right now. Um, You know what? There's someone who I don't know who this person is. Someone from another country. My my second Christmas without Rob. um, Meaning like really the the first full year. Because I lost him two days before Christmas. So one year later. This person. I feel like she lives in Scotland or Ireland. Reached out to me and she said, I don't want, I want you to have a Christmas tree in your home, but I don't want you to have to open up all those boxes. So I'm sending you money so that you can buy what you want your house to look like this year. That is an open handed gift. She didn't ask me to follow through, she didn't ask me to follow up. She didn't even give me her address to write her a thank you note. <laughs> she just said, I want to give this to you. You use this in a way that you choose. You know what I did? I bought a new Christmas tree because I wanted something, but I couldn't go into the basement and open up 10 years worth of memories. I couldn't do it. And so she, she closed the gap for me. She slayed the dragon. And when you can just give, you can just give, give in a way that makes sense, but doesn't require anything from the person who's hurting. You get to, you're, you're a hero. You're a hero in that space. I can speak from the person who has been the wounded one. I have so many heroes, so many heroes that who just stepped in and said, I've got this one. What a beautiful story that is. What a beautiful story of just handing it over, no expectation of yeah. anything, including the thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and she thought, and that was obviously such a thoughtful gift as well. It was well thought out mm-hmm. to know what, that first Christmas might look like or feel like to you to be able to help out in a real tangible way. I've never forgotten it and I never will. No, that's amazing. I I love how I, I had questions here about how can others come in and help out. And I am so glad that the conversation just naturally went that direction because that's important for people listening as well. People want to step in. They want to help out. They want to do something when, Everything feels so powerless, but they don't always know what. And so you've given some some great ideas. I have recently been working as a chaplain student at the local hospital, and one of the things that, that we're taught is when you go to somebody's hospital room and you're going to come in, you knock on the door and you say, Hi, I'm Chaplain Jennifer. May I come in? Because that is the first choice they're allowed to make. 
And so mm. many things happen in the hospital that people don't have choice over. And me coming in or not can be a choice. And it's, it is. It's such a gift that we can give others. It's a big deal. It really is a big deal. You don't realize how much has been taken away and how many decisions have been made for you until someone says, what, what do you want to do? What would you like right now? And that alone can, can light someone's path, simply having a choice. Wow. As I listen to our conversation today, um, I, I think of um, not just the darkness, but that the name of your first book is and life comes back and and we need to realize I, th I think of the 23rd psalm where we say we walk through the valley of the shadow of death god never says i will leave you there forever you walk through the valley you eventually make your way to the other side and you are you are somewhere else other than that deepest darkest night and the time that that deepest darkest night will be for you or any listener is determined by you and you can't you can't choose it just happens and you have to live into it and live with it and, and and one day you might turn around and say I'm feeling a little bit better today and the day after you might not be but eventually the I'm feeling a little bit better days will hopefully outnumber the days when you don't feel a little bit better so you wrote the book and life comes back and I have a question about that how has God, God brought you back to life, and what joy have you found? <laughs> that is a great and wonderful question. Um, well, first of all, five years ago, I, uh, I got a job at Starbucks, um, and I poured a cup of coffee for a very handsome man who came in on a Tuesday night, and he kept coming back until I joined him for a cup of coffee. And um, Peter and I have been in that conversation now for five years that started at over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And he asked me to be his wife. And he stepped into the hot mess that I thought no one would want. Um, there was a lot going on here, just a whole lot, a whole lot going on and a lot that needed a dad. And I'm reminded at Christmas time, especially of the fact that um, that. Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, and he stepped in. He stepped in because that's what stepdads do. They step in, and they make the mess beautiful. And um, we prayed for a long time for our Joseph, for this dad who was going to— I asked God to give this man, whoever you have, for my family. If you have anyone for my family, give him the supernatural love that you gave to Joseph to raise your son because um, that's what it will call for, <laughs> that kind of patience and compassion. And he stepped in just in time for the hardest years, and we are in it right now. And so that is one of the ways that God has restored the sparkle to my eyes and the laughter to my days. Um, but also, I, I have a very keen sense of what matters and what doesn't. And when you're on a really what you think is a clear path and it gets washed away by a giant storm of life, you can suddenly become very, very keenly aware of what lasts and what doesn't. And the beauty that God has given me is an awareness of what to invest in and what truly matters and what are the things that I don't have to worry about that. That is not a thing 
That is not a thing that we are going to pour our time and attention into. We are doing what is beautiful and what is important. We are giving our time and our attention to what is valuable and what is necessary, not what is the tyranny of the urgent. And that has curated, that filter has curated a beautiful life of happiness and presence and of being in this moment because this is the one that we have, the one that we're in. I just think uh, Trisha just says everything so beautifully. And uh, so everyone needs to buy and read all of her books because uh, as well as she is sharing her voice on our podcast, her books are just as well written and beautifully written. Uh, and she is so full of wisdom. Uh, it's just been an honor and a privilege for us to be able to welcome you, Tricia, to Harmony Springs Gives Voice and to add your voice uh, to those of us uh, who have been making an attempt at giving voice uh, to and for all of these issues uh, like the one we talked about tonight. Well, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me into your space and to to share share the candle and to light the path for the people who are listening. I do have lots of books out there. If you Google any version of my name, Trisha Lott Williford, you'll find them. And I have a pretty active blog and a podcast as well called Let's Talk Soon. And I would love to, I'd love to know your listeners better. Um, we are all in this together now so more than ever. And uh, it's an honor to be invited to the space. Thank you so much for being with us today. Trisha, it's been an honor to hear what you have to say, and you have so many wise words that, that will help others in their uh, endeavor to help others or to find their own light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much, Trisha. Thank you both. Uh, for more on the many books that Trisha has written on a number of topics and her new book coming out, uh, she has a website trishalawilford.com and a blog that she keeps up. I was just looking through it the other day and noticed that she and I both share a love and addiction for uh, Starbucks pumpkin cream cold brew. So uh, <laughs> we'll send you uh, some Starbucks gifts cards that can only be used for that, then, Trisha. That's, uh, that's our <laughs> stipulation. Uh, and uh, check out, we'll post in the show notes that uh, all of those links to her uh, website and books uh, where you can purchase those and read them. Thanks so much for being here, Tricia. Appreciate it.